Blog Talk Radio. Sugarcoated. That first half was not good. 
um, there is not a lot of reasons why um, an ACC team should barely be beating a Division II team going into the half. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for it, uh, and we'll kind of get into that later in the show. Um, but uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the team is young. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at the box score right now. Um, by and large, um, the only player who really did anything offensively was Eli Carter, who um, definitely appears to be the heir apparent to um, Olivier Hanlon and will most likely uh, have a lot of responsibility in terms of scoring this season. Um, but the rest of the team didn't do so well. And, um, and, and again, that's the flaw of youth, but I think it's, it's, it's also um, a little bit of rust as well. Um, you know, I've never seen um, a team like BC get outbodied by a team that's a lot smaller than they are, but they did. BC got absolutely destroyed on rebounds in the first half. The, the margin was like 12, 21 to 12. It felt like it was bigger than that. Um, and, you know, that's something that they're going to need to, to watch out for. They've got uh, a game coming up this weekend against another team that, that goes kind of small, that's, that's a lot smaller um, than um, BC is. They don't have a true bona fide big man the way uh, BC does in uh, in Dennis Clifford. So to me, I BC's never, you know, last year uh, they never really struck me as, well, yeah, uh, uh, they were, yeah, they were out-rebounded, um, especially in ACC play. It looks like they're even um, overall. But, you know, against teams like Bentley, a team against teams like St. Francis of uh, Brooklyn, you can't get out-rebounded. You know, you, you have to be able to use your size, and we ha- uh, we did have a caller, um, but they hung up. Um, if, uh, you still have that question, caller. I, I uh, say you should definitely call in. Um, you can't get out-rebounded um, against a team that's smaller than you. Um, and that's something that happened, uh, and BC for the, in the first half got out-bodied, and that's something that can happen. Um, and on the second half, um, Again, in the first half of the second half, they struggled. But in the second half of the second half, they they came back and they they played the way they should. Um, they they made up the rebound margin. Uh, I think BC ended up winning the rebound margin um, overall uh, because of a really good effort in the second half to to um, to get those get those rebounds. But uh, you know, it, again, you can't get out rebounded, and that that's something that we need to that everybody's going to need to look out for. As for scoring, um, you know, come January 3rd against Duke, Eli Carter cannot be the only guy putting up uh, big numbers in terms of points. There, There's a point in the game where Eli Carter had a pretty, I would, I would say like 25% of BC's points. And that's something that can happen in ACC play. He, he, he can get, uh, obviously he can put up big numbers, but, uh, you know, looking at the first half, he he had 25 points in the first half. The next highest point total was Jerome Robinson, who had five. And that's something that can't happen. Because um, Eli Carter's not going to put up 25 points in 
in the first half against ACC teams. He's not going. I don't think he's going to do that against Duke. Um, so you, he, the other other people need to step up and uh, get their point totals up. And again, I think that is attributed to the youth of the team. Uh, I think as the team gets gets more experienced, you're you're going to see that change a little bit. Eli Carter can absolutely carry uh, the team through games against like St. Francis of Brooklyn or against Maine or against the, some of the weaker teams in their uh, out of conference schedule. But when they go down, when they play Michigan State in uh, that tournament um, in I think it's Thanksgiving. Let me let me check the schedule. Uh, when they when they uh, play in the Wooden Legacy tournament um, on November 26 against Michigan State, uh, if BC has any chance in that game, uh, Eli Carter cannot be the only one putting up points. Um, so in that case, we would kind of have to look at different types of expectations. If Michigan State, if BC is going to c- compete against Michigan State, they're, they're going to need an entire team effort. That's going to happen. But if you take Michigan State and say, listen, BC probably won't have a decent chance of winning this, winning this game. Why don't we see how the freshmen can do, see if the freshmen can kind of get their footing? This, this first half of the season needs to be about the freshmen getting their footing. Um, you know, it, it, like, like I said, this is a young team. This is a rebuilding year. This is a, a year that BC is going to need to get these young players more developed, and they're uh, going to need to – um, get stronger, um, and at the end of the day, um, there's there aren't a lot of high expectations for this team. And to me, I think that's that's reasonable. But I, I think, in particular, the first half of the season kind of needs to be a get our young players more ready to play in the ACC. The second half of the season, I think, um, the, the young players need to be ready to step up. Um, I, I'm, I talked a lot about this in some upcoming articles. We're, we're doing a preview um, of the upcoming season coming out on uh, Thursday as a two-parter, uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, I'm setting January 3rd as sort of the day to watch to see where the young young players are in terms of development. If young players, young players on the team are developed and ready to go by January 3rd, I think BC is going to be um, a, a decent team. I, 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 don't, I don't think um, you should set your expectations too high in the tournament, but or in, in the conference, but they can be a low to mid middle level ACC team if the freshmen are all developed and ready to go by January 3rd. If they're not, and it goes until, let's say, the Miami game on, uh, let's see, January 20th, if it gets to that point and the, the players aren't developed, this, this season is probably, probably going to be a wash because the losses begin to pile up and the team gets frustrated. And then in, in frustrations manifest themselves, manifests itself, and it gets to the point where you need to kind of look at the season through a different lens. So, January 3rd, I think, is going to be the moment in time where uh, the team is going to need to be ready and be battle-ready um, for uh, the – how do I say? BCs needs to be battle-ready by January 3rd, um, or at the very least, maybe by the January 
13th game against Syracuse, um, if they're going to um, be able to be like a, a force in the ACC. And again, let's not get carried away here. They're not going to compete at a higher level this, this season. We should just, if anybody has that notion and you shouldn't, don't have that notion. They're not going to be able to compete at the higher level. They're not going to be able to compete for the ACC tournament. And I think everybody who is following the team kind of knows that. But they can be a middle, mid-level team, mid-to-low-level team if the freshmen are ready. I'm just looking at their schedule now. They have a very difficult opening schedule. It gets a little bit easier towards the end. Um, but they start out with Duke. That's going to be a tough game. Our game's going to be a tough game. Uh, Q's, Pitt, that's, those are all those are two tough games. Then you have Miami, which will be not as tough. But then you have Notre Dame again. So those six games are going to be tough. And if they're not ready, then it's going to get frustrating very quickly for them. So with that in mind, um, I think that should be how we view this season. It's not going to be an easy season uh, for, for fans, and it, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of frustration. It's going to be a frustrating year. Let, let's not sugarcoat that. But if BC puts their work in in the first half of the season, I think they can play a significant ro- uh, role and play some decent games in the second half of the season when ACC play comes around. Our number is 646. Two zero 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 four four six. If you want to call in, talk about the BC basketball team uh, upcoming game uh, against St. Francis, Brooklyn, or just the season in general, or anything else in general, call in, and we will have many great discussions. Uh, hopefully, many great discussions. If one person calls in, just be one discussion. So, with that in mind, let's kind of shift our focus uh, away from a general look at the uh, a general look at the basketball team and kind of focus on St. Francis of Brooklyn. They're, they're an NEC team. They won the NEC last year. This is not going to be an easy out for them. Um, but a couple things kind of stand out. They have, okay, one, two guys um, who I would consider – uh, bona fide big men. Uh, they have Joshua Nurse, who's, who's at 6'9", uh, 195. He's a freshman. Um, and you have uh, Jagos Lasek, uh, who's from Serbia. Uh, he's a sophomore, 6'8", 200. But there's not a lot of big men. And when I say big men, I'm talking kind of like uh, the way Dan Clifford is a big man, 7'0", 7'2", uh, 262. Um, you know, there's, 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 they're not big um, and I think uh, BC needs to take advantage of that. They can, again, they can't get outbodied like they did against Bentley, against this team. First of all, they, they have no reason to because most of the most of the Eagles are bigger than uh, Saint is. Um, most of the players are, um, and that should um, give the Eagles a bit of an advantage. Um, I also noted um, I, I've done a little bit of research uh, into uh, the the Terriers. They are a 
team that gets a decent amount of rebounds. I'm going to give you the exact statistics in just a second. Um, but what I was talking about before, uh, BC getting out-rebounded against Bentley in the first half, that shouldn't that, that has potential to happen. Um, you know, St. Francis of Brooklyn is a rebounding team. You see the exact statistic. I'll give them, give them to you in a second. They're a rebounding team. Um, and that's, that's going to be a tough thing for the Eagles to deal with. This is a very long media guide. Bear with me one second. So that's something, that's something the Eagles need to look out for. Here are the statistics. So the St. Francis of uh, Brooklyn Terriers out-rebounded uh, their opponents um, about 38.9 rebounds per game to an opponent's 32.9. Um, so the the Eagles can't get out-rebounded, um, and um, that, that's something that the Eagles need to, to focus on. We have a caller on the line. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good show tonight. Uh, Thank I you. Want talk, I, want talk, I want to talk about uh, the, the basketball team, and I, I hear your comments, and I agree with you that this is a young team, and it's going to be a rough go, even though the schedule is going to be uh, lighter until they get into ACC action. But realistically, how many of the games in conference do you think they're going to be able to win? Um, I mean, I think uh, we, again, um, if – you look at our uh, preview coming out uh, tomorrow and on Friday, we do best case, worst case scenarios and most likely uh, situation. I think, I think best case scenario, they are a mid-level team. Um, I think most likely um, they're going to hit the side at or around the Miami game on the 20th. Um, I think that's the absolute latest they can possibly go um, in terms of being uh, battle ready. Um, if they go any later than that, for a longer season. I think realistically, um, this can be a, I want to say two, three win team in, in the conference. I think that's, that's how I'm, that's my prediction. I think Wake Forest should be, yeah, I think Wake Forest could be a winnable game. Um, uh, let's see who else. Virginia Tech should be, should be winnable. Um, and by the way, they, they, I'm not saying that they're either of these that BC should be favored over either of these teams, but I think that that's a, those are two teams within reach. Um, so I think two to three wins is definitely attainable. But I think if the Eagles hit their stride early, uh, they can definitely uh, show signs of brilliance like they did last year. You know, they they took Virginia Tech or not Virginia Tech, UVA, who was number two at the time, uh, and I believe no, I, I I don't know if they're undefeated. I shouldn't say that. But they took UVA last year early in the season to the brink. Uh, there, there were five minutes left, and BC was still very much in that game. That's how I kind of envision the Eagles being and when they kind of hit their stride late um, or when, when they hit their stride for conference play. If they do that, I think they're a three-win team in conference. If they don't, this might be a long season, long uh uh, conference schedule because there are some very, very good teams on that schedule. All right. So the team is young. Let's jump ahead. Since we're starting this year, hasn't even started. Let's talk about next year. Is this team realistically going to be very competitive in the ACC anytime in the near future? Um, they've got a lot of good recruits coming in. Um, they, they just had somebody sign 
Um, uh, earlier today, uh, let me see. I, I wrote the article. I should know this. Um, they have a, a, a point guard uh, who's a three-star recruit coming in um, from Greensboro who just signed today. And there are a, a couple of recruits uh, that BC is targeting that could potentially um, give the Eagles a little bit of depth. Um, that with these recruits who also show signs, uh, some signs of brilliance, um, it, like who, who look, appear to have the ability to show signs of brilliance. If those players develop well, I think in a couple of years, this team will be pretty competitive. Um, I, I don't think I, the ACC is going to be tough out no matter what. Um, in, in, in any conference, like if you're in a conference with Duke and North Carolina and Syracuse, like any, any of the teams really in the conference, it's going to be tough to make up ground. And I think we're kind of seeing that right now. BC um, in a different conference might be a lot more competitive, but it's the ACC. It's the toughest conference in basketball. And really it's, it's, it's going to be really tough for the Eagles to come back, but there's a lot of talent. So we'll see. Well, I just want to hope that they're they're building something because I it's not that long ago that BC was a, a dominant force in the, in the Big East in the old days, and ever since they got to the ACC after a couple of years, it's been been it's been a while since we've been able to compete with with the best in the in the conference. Well, I mean, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, recruits are going to want to come to programs uh, that have a history of winning. That's why Duke, North Carolina. Um, have a history of bringing in good recruits. I mean, it, it's it's Shashevsky, um for Duke. Um, the, the, the coaches are big, but uh, you know, don't the, the the teams that are good historically are good because they have a, a tradition of winning. BC has that, um, not at least not not recently, but they do have that. Like you mentioned, they um, have had history of being successful in the big East, but they haven't had that in the ACC. Um, and I think the, they're, they're struggling and they're struggling to sort of make up some ground because of that. Um, so it's, it's, it's tough to make up ground. And because of that, it's hurting, it's definitely hurting recruiting. So what BC needs to do, uh, they need to pick up these three-star recruits and build a team, a complete team around them, make them competitive. And then we can start talking about four or five-star recruits. You know, everyone, uh, every time I post something about BC basketball recruits, like a three-star recruit, everyone says, "Oh, why aren't we going up? To, why isn't BC going up to four or five-star recruits?" Well, BC would go up to four or five-star recruits, but everybody knows that would be a risk, waste of resources because BC has no chance with those players. What BC needs to do right now is go after three-star recruits, go after them hard, build a team, make them competitive, and then we can start talking about four or five-star recruits. All right, I hope you're right. I, uh, for BC's sake, I hope I am right too. Thank you for calling in. If you want to be like that caller and call into uh, this show, our number is 646-200-0446. I think, yeah, I, I will commit to that. I think if the players develop the way they should, in a couple of years, BC should be fairly competitive. Um, it, it's really hard to say that BC is going to be like uber competitive and competing for an ACC championship in a few years because that that's tough to say, um, especially, like I said, given the depth of the conference. But 
if the young players develop the way they should, I I see no reason why they shouldn't be at least a fairly competitive team down the road. So uh, we will shift from BC basketball and let's talk a little BC hockey. I have never seen a goalie at any level playing the way Thatcher Demko is right now. He is simply at a completely different level. Um, And it's getting to the point where as good as the offense is, and they're really, really good, uh, I I think in maybe by January or February, uh, Miles Wood and Colin White are going some of the best forwards in in the country, and I really mean that. Um, they've got a lot of speed. Uh, they've got they're they're smart. Um, they're they're going to be very very good. Um, so yeah, I should say I, I I made this observation against Maine. BC's penalty kill is going to be very very good. I think they're going to be very very dangerous offensively. Um, we we saw a few times Miles Wood or Colin White would guard the uh, the blue line poke check and use their speed to create some separation. BC, if BC does that a lot, that's going to be very tough uh, to play against on, on the penalty kill. But Thatcher Demko is playing at a ridiculous level right now. And, you know, Red Gendron, who is the the main uh, hockey coach mentioned um, after the game that, that Demko isn't Superman and you have to put people in front of him, get bias in front of him. Even after that, you know, you can't, um, it's, it's, it's tough to play against him. Uh, it's, it's, t- it's, he's a tough out. Um, we saw one play, um, I forget who it was on main, uh, shot a puck from the near side, uh, face off circle from where I was sitting in the press box. He shot a puck and Demko made an unbelievable acrobatic save. You know, when, when, you're, when you're making saves like that, gotta know that you're that you're on your game um and Demko has definitely been on his game and you game plan a little bit different if you're uh, a team with a goaltender on his game you know you can be a lot more aggressive on offense you can Miles Wood can Miles Wood and Colin White can um uh guard the line a little bit and, and try to see if they can create something on a breakaway chance um, they can do that because you can count on Thatcher Demko to make that save. Um, and it's, it's, it's not like he's playing, he's playing well against, uh, subpar opponents. Denver is easily going to be stick out as the best opponent there. They've played, um, so far this season. Um, but even with Massachusetts, UMass Amherst and the two games against Maine, Demko looks looks absolutely solid, and that's got to be a bit of a confidence boost. If and if you're uh, if you're the hockey team, it's definitely good to have a goaltender who is on top of the on top of the game like uh, Thatcher Demko is. Um, and and uh, with the offense, uh, I think uh, like I said, Colin White, uh, Miles Wood, two absolutely solid forwards um it's a shame Jeremy Bracco left I think if those three stayed they could have been like the old Johnny Gaudreau in terms of how dominant they they were they are um you know we, we, we can 
joke and laugh about Jeremy Bracco and sort of underperforming um, when he left. Um, but I, I've looked at Jeremy Bracco's tape coming in. Um, it's not, it looks looked fairly obvious that Jeremy Bracco wasn't exactly um, college hockey ready. And that probably had a lot to do with, with why he left. But once he did become college hockey ready, I think he could have been a very, very good forward in the game. Uh, and paired up with Miles Wood and uh, Colin White, they could have been quite a tour de force. But Bracco left, and Miles Wood and Colin White um, are still uh, playing. Um, and they are looking very, very solid. And that's what happened. A lot of the success that BC has kind of comes back to the depth at forward. You know, Alex Tuck has struggled mightily um, to score a goal. He got, I think he has one goal right now on an empty netter um, in the first main game. Um, you know, that that's, you know, when we have a goal scorer like Alex Tuck struggling, but still dominating offensively, that's a testament to how deep their forwards are. That's a deep to how um, how they can roll out uh, three really solid scoring lines. Um, and if one player uh, is having trouble, uh, is a testament to how much it really doesn't stick out. Alex Tuck struggling sticks out to guys like me, sticks out to guys like Joe Gravelisi, Grant Salzano, because we follow the game very closely. But like to the average fan, I don't know how many people didn't realize Alex Tuck didn't have um, uh, any goals going uh, into the games um, uh, this week, this past weekend, because the offense has been so dominant. So Alex Tuck will get his stride back. Um, I I think um, it, it, it's it's going to happen soon. Um, and when he does, um, it, that's just it just adds another layer of depth to that offense. And if you're a BC hockey fan, you've got to be really excited um, about what's um, upcoming for the Eagles. Um, now, it's sort of on that note um, and related to uh, the whole Jeremy Bracco thing. BC needs, I think Joe mentioned this in uh, his recap. Uh, I want to say, like, it, I think it was Monday he, he mentioned this. BC needs to be careful um, in terms of getting injured. They have to stay healthy. They can't be, get suspensions because they don't have a lot of roster depth. They have a lot of depth in terms of who they play. So like they have those three, those three three scoring lines, but after that, like and after the like when you get once again to people who are who are scratched, BC doesn't have a whole lot. And you know we saw um, kind of how that worked um, this weekend. Ryan Fitzgerald was suspended on Friday for Friday's game, um, and we saw this Christopher Brown, I think, was uh, the guy who moved up to the, th the third uh, line to replace him. You know that that that's that's not that that really kind of hampers uh, your ability 
uh, as an offense to kind of get things get things going a little bit. And when we're talking about defense, um, you know, Teddy Doherty is out for a little bit, um, and you know, Peter McMullen is is playing. Um, and while Mc, Peter McMullen is definitely um, a, a decent uh, defenseman, I'd much rather have Teddy Doherty uh, and have those those, six, those three really solid defensive pairings. If healthy, BC defensively is very solid. I don't think they're missing uh, Noah Hannafin or uh, Michael Matheson too, too much. Um, they're, they're doing just fine defensively. But once they start getting injured, once some suspensions come in, you, you kind of see how once you get past the, the, the players dressing, there there is a little bit of concern in terms of um, who the Eagles can, can put out. Um, and, you know, it, I, I say concern. In the, I, I thought BC did just fine defensively on Sunday uh, without Teddy Doherty. Um, we'll, we'll see how, how everything goes against Michigan State, um, who, um, unlike Maine, actually has a, a win, um, or more than, more than one win, I believe. Um, Maine, uh, obviously, still searching for their first win. But I think they looked fine without Teddy Doherty. Um, but we, sh- but BC shouldn't force the issue, and um, it's important for the players to stay healthy. It's important for suspensions to not keep piling up. Uh, Michigan State's four, three, and one. By the way, it's important for the for BC to not put themselves in a position where they're not putting their best team out because when BC has their best team out on the ice, they're probably one, they're easily one of the best teams in, in college hockey. Another note, uh, I, I'm, I've been really impressed with uh, the, the performance of Travis Jake. Uh, I think he has been um, called upon to uh, do a very difficult job sort of playing, cleaning up uh, after um, Jerry Bracco left, um, but I think overall, uh, I, I think Travis Jake has, has has done well. He got his first goal, I think, last Tuesday um, against UMass, uh, and with Travis Jake being a solid replacement on the fourth line, with the fourth line overall being a viable option. That gives BC a lot of depth, and you can never have enough depth. Um, and it's to me, um, I think, like I said, healthy BC is going to be one of the best teams in the country by far. Um, you know, the, the fact that Travis Jake, in my, again, in my opinion, has been so successful is a good thing. Um, so we'll we'll see how that how the rest of the season goes. Uh, we'll see if Travis Jake, who hasn't played too too much um, in his time at the Heights, um, and he will be called upon to certainly play a, um, a lot more than he's probably than in, in the past. Um, but so far, so good, and I think that kind of tempered some of the fears um, with 
with um, Jeremy Brackle leaving and in, in terms of in terms of depth. Um, so overall, that's a really solid thing. Uh, if you want to call in, our number is six four seven two zero 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 four four six. If you don't want to listen to me ramble for, uh, I think we're probably going to do this show for another seven or eight minutes or so. If you don't want to listen to me ramble for the rest of that show, um, I suggest you call in. Um, so let's shift from uh, hockey uh, to football. And, you know, it, it's – I'm kind of – I'm torn when, when, when we're talking about BC football. On the one hand, I, I want to say injuries are frustrating. Um, BC had a really tall burden in terms of – having to overcome the injuries to Darius Wade, to John Hilleman. But at the same time, it's very frustrating to a fan of the team to see a player like John Fadul come in, who was on the practice squad and didn't really didn't see a whole lot of um, in terms of uh, – like. It, he really wasn't seen as a, as a viable option um, up until like a, a week or two ago, and he has he's not been fantastic. He's not been great by any means. Um, and next season he's at most a number three starter with Darius Wade uh, coming back. But I think it's it's a little bit frustrating to me as a BC football fan to see. John Fadul coming in and having a level of success after watching Jeff Smith and Troy Flutie flounder uh, for the majority of the season. Um, certainly um, discussion can be had um, in regards to who should have uh, gotten the first start. Um, I, I certainly don't buy the argument that um, Troy Flutie or Jeff Smith, either one of them didn't get a, a fair shake. Um, they they certainly had a lot of looks, a lot of reps on during games. And at some point, uh, Steve Adazio had to make a decision. And not everyone's going to like it. I completely understand that. Um, but he had to make a decision. And um, you know, uh, to me, I thought Jeff Smith had a lot more upside um, than Troy Flutie did. Um, Jeff Smith can certainly move, uh, run the ball a lot better. Um, he... His, he didn't have a lot in terms of passing game, but Troy Fluidy wasn't fantastic in terms of passing either. So I, I thought Jeff Smith was the right decision uh, in playing him. Um, but I think John Fadul was better than Troy Fluidy and Jeff Smith overall. And the fact that John Fadul was the best option, uh, to me, again, in my opinion, be the best option um, is a little frustrating to me. Um, and it's a little frustrating to see that the best option um, in terms of quarterback after Darius Wade got hurt was on the practice squad for the majority of the season. And that has to raise a lot of questions. That needs, that the, the question of why he was on the practice squad for so long needs to be addressed. Um, but 
again, I'm not saying John Fitzgerald should be the starter next year. I'm not saying he's he's a great quarterback. I'm saying he was the best option this season by far. He's he's a good thrower. Uh, he can run the ball fairly well. Um, and based on those two things, he should have gone certainly gone a look in terms of the best quarterback. And you know, sometimes quarterbacks play better in games than they do in practice. I get that. Um, but at some point in the next, I want to say nine months or so, the question needs to be asked why John Fadul was on the practice squad for as long as he was and didn't get game game time until very, very late in the season when he, again, this is my opinion, he probably was one of the better uh, options available um, after Darius Wade got hurt. So I, I'm going to do 45 minutes uh, tonight. Uh, if you've made it this far, I thank you for listening. Um, it, this was a tough show to prepare for. Um, we're, we were kind of, I'm kind of uh, going without a script a little bit here. Um, but uh, I think we touched upon some uh, very, very solid, very solid points. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the article that I wrote um, in response uh, to uh, Dan Rubin. First of all, um, I definitely respect Dan Rubin's uh, opinion. I definitely respect where he's coming from. Um, as if, as a fan, and I, and I respect the people who agree with him. As a fan, it's really tough to see other fans abandon, sort of leaving the the, the stadium and um, sort of take zapping the atmosphere away from uh, from the game. I completely understand that. As a Mets fan, I completely understand that. Um, but I I still don't completely understand the argument that um, I I don't completely understand the argument that you owe the team anything or or you owe the athletic department anything once you paid for your ticket. Um, I, I, I'll give, I'll say full disclosure. I stayed until the end um, for every home game uh, that BC had this year. I went to every game. I think I missed kickoff once um, and I stayed till the end. I'm not saying that as a point of pride. I'm saying that as full disclosure, um, as a full disclosure type of thing, I personally believe in staying till the end. What I was saying is I don't blame others who don't have that same opinion. Um, you know, it's it's been frustrating as a BC football fan to watch the team. And God knows, I know, God knows that other people have things to do. I get that. Um, and I I don't think that anybody really has much of an obligation to watch a team that is struggling as much as BC football has or had um, during the home, the um, home schedule. And at some point you kind of have to be able as a fan to say, I can't deal with this anymore. And I can't watch this game anymore. I can't watch this team anymore. Um, it's creating too much stress. It's not watchable. I'm waste. I'm I'm really wasting money um, going to the game, and 
if the team's not watchable, I really don't think they have an obligation to watch it. It would be one thing um, if we're like last year um, where BC was competitive um, with Pitt until the very end of the game, uh, or at least semi-competitive. It was, it was kind of a distant um, thing. I would say that, that that would be one thing. And the students, I think, were starting to leave by, like, the third quarter, and, like, other people starting to leave by the third quarter. That's one thing. But to have a team as not good as um, the team was this year, I, I really can't blame people for leaving. I really can't. I would love to see people stay. I really would. I would love to have the, um, the team having uh, – or the, the game having a really good atmosphere throughout the whole thing. But two things I would say to that before I, I step off and let um, all the listeners out there who have uh, made it through uh, this particular broadcast, um, I think so – two, two, so two things. First of all, you can say all you want about how having people in the stadium would, have a bet, would create a better atmosphere. There's absolutely no way you can tell me that the atmosphere would be better or or acceptable, even if if the people stayed in the stadium. It would get really bad. Um, the people who stayed in the stadium are people who believe um, in staying till the end and supporting their team. Um, if you force people as as a moral thing to stay till the end, if they don't want to stay, it's it's going to get a bit tenuous and nobody wants that. So by far and away, the better option is people to leave. And number two is that why my argument would be, why would BC football, why would BC football fans have an obligation to the program to make the team better? There are people on the BC football payroll who are paid to make the team better. Not a single fan is on that list of people on payroll. It's not a fan's job to make the team better. It's a fan's job to support the team, to be fair. But if the team is, if the game's not watchable, then quite frankly, who should watch it? One quick um, plug before I leave. Um, any Philadelphia hockey fans, uh, college hockey fans listening to this um, particular show, um, on Sunday of, uh, after thanks, uh, Thanksgiving, there's going to be a college hockey game at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, it's not going to be BC. It's going to be Penn State versus Vermont. Um, I th- I think um, Philadelphia would be a really good city um, to have develop um, a solid college hockey co- culture, and I I like that the city is hosting a college hockey game at the Wells Fargo Center. Um, to, I, I looked on Ticketmaster earlier t- tonight. Plenty of good tickets still available. Um, I think it's going to be a decent game. Um, if you're out there and you're looking for something to do uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving, uh, try and avoid some work um, that was that's piling up um, going into Thanksgiving. I uh, there are better, there are worse ways uh, to spend uh, your Sunday afternoon. Um, not like there's football or anything to watch. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to sign off. Uh, thank you for uh, listening till the end. Uh, this is Arthur Balin for BC Interruption Radio. Uh, Have a good night.